So I want to begin with an illustration from preaching today called The Quest for Love Endures. PBS is The Great American Read is an eight-part series that explores America's 100 best love novels. The series notes that one theme emerges often in these books, the quest for love, especially in romantic love that will endure. Here are a few quotes from liter literature experts commenting on the series and the novels. Love is a driving force behind everything that we do. So I think reading about all these different types of loves and the way in, in ways in which they present is one of the great human questions. I love a good love story. I think everybody wants love. If you don't have it, you're trying to get it. If you have it, you're trying to keep it. Every book on this list is about love and death and finding love that transcends death. I mean, who's not going to love a love story? We are fascinated by the facts that things can go wrong in love. We don't want to go there, and we don't want this sort of thing to happen to us. And that brings us to unrequited love, which is the title of the passage this morning. Unrequited love is a love that is not mutual or reciprocated. One person loves someone who does not love them back. The word requite literally means to return or to repay. And the term unrequited love in particular carries an intentionally dramatic or romantic connotation to it, in part because the phrase appears so often throughout classic literature and poetry and continues to be a popular theme in books, movies, and music today. Unrequited love can be deeply painful for the person who's in love, in part because it often means they will not get to share life with that person as fully or deeply as they would like. To, as they, would like. And they may also feel like it's a rejection or condemnation of their worth. So this morning we're going to be in Genesis 29, verses 31 to 35. And what we're really going to see is a story of unrequited love. So last week, Pastor Stewart, in his sermon titled, Love is Blind, he told us that Jacob, who was so blinded by his love for Rachel, that her father Laban was able to deceive him into marrying the older sister, Leah. From last week, we know that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. And this morning, we're going to see that Leah knew this, and she felt this deeply. She felt unloved, unwanted, afflicted, and neglected. And her love for Jacob was not reciprocated. And yes, we will see that Leah will have children to Jacob, but she doesn't have his heart. And that's what she really wants. She will cry out in her unloved and afflicted state, and someone will hear her. Someone will see her. And that someone is God. That's where God will step into Leah's life. When you feel that no one loves you, when you feel unwanted and neglected, that's when God will step into your life as well. And you can know that God hears you, he sees you, and he loves you deeply. And that brings us to the big idea this morning, which is God sees and hears the cries of the unloved and the afflicted, and he loves them deeply. We see time and time again in the Bible where God, both God and Jesus see and hear those that feel this way, and he comes to their rescue. Before we jump into our scripture this morning, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, your word says that you are close to the brokenhearted. You're close to those 
who are unwanted, who are afflicted, and who are neglected. We see in your word that you come to their rescue over and over again. And Lord, there may be those here this morning or online who feel that very way, and we pray that they would feel your presence this morning. We pray that they would feel your love right now already surrounding them. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the cries of those around us that are feeling that way this morning. Help us to come alongside them. Help us to provide love and comfort and peace in their time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we're going to be in uh, Genesis 29, verses 31 to 35. The first point this morning is called seen, and that's found in verse 31. This is what God's word says. Now that Leah saw, now that now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb. But Rachel was unable to have children. So if we go back a few verses, we see that after finishing the wedding week with Leah, Jacob received Rachel as his wife, and they they immediately had their wedding week. We're told that Jacob had relations with Rachel, but we're never told that he had, he had relations with Leah. And as I just mentioned, we know that Jacob loved Leah, or loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. So that's the background for what we see here in verse 31. Now the Lord sees that Leah was unloved. The word for unloved is the same word for hate, but actually it means to love less. We don't know exactly how Jacob treated Leah, but commentators agree that he didn't abuse her. He was probably just spending all his time with Rachel, the wife he loved more. And thereby, he, he was neglecting Leah. So, that, you know, we may not want to think too harshly of Jacob. As you remember, he was tricked into marrying Leah. But we can know what God thought about his treatment of her. God saw how Jacob was treating her, and he opened Leah's womb so she could have children. And these children would have been a divine provision fulfilling God's promise to Jacob that he would have descendants like the dust of the earth. This is the first time that God has taken an active part in the narrative since his appearance to Jacob at Bethel. God's silence and inactivity is probably because, if you remember, Jacob had a lack of praise after he was, being, after he was led by God to his mother's brother Laban and his family. And also because of the subsequent treachery and deception by Laban. Now, a lot of times in the Old Testament, God's silence shows his disappointment, shows his disapproval about what's going on. And then almost as an aside, we're told that Rachel can't have children. She's unable to have children. And we know from verse 30 that Jacob and Rachel were having relations, so why couldn't she have children? Well, the reason she couldn't have children is because God closed her womb, just as he opened Leah's. Chapter 30, verse 1 and 2, we'll see next week, that Rachel confronts Jacob about not being able to have these children. And Jacob replies this, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? So Rachel can't have children, and Leah will be able to have children because of an act of God. And these two acts together would have been an implied rebuke of Jacob's blatant favoring of Rachel and his neglect of Leah. You know, God was pouring out his grace on Leah by opening her womb. The Jewish people believed that children were a gift from God. Jean read Psalm 127, 3 to, four, or three to 5, but I'm going to read 3 to 4 again. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. 
like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. You know, it's possible that Jacob had been neglecting his marital duties with Leah. Now, whether he ever thought about divorcing her or not, it may not have been an option. Because if it was, it wouldn't have made sense for Laban to trick him if he could just divorce Leah later on. It's probable that Jacob was only having relations with Rachel because he wanted her, the one he loved, to have his firstborn son. But God saw that Leah was unloved. She was unwanted. She was afflicted. And she was neglected. And he opened her womb and he closed Rachel's. God, in his infinite love and compassion, saw Leah's pain. And because of his deep love for her, he graciously blessed her. You know, God also sees us when we were unloved, unwanted, and neglected, just like Leah. And we can trust that he loves us deeply, and he wants to be in a relationship with us. This brings us to the first next step on the back of your communication card this morning, which is to trust that God loves me deeply, even when I feel like no one else does. So now Jacob was smart enough to know that Rachel was barren, and since children were a gift from the Lord, he decides to have relations with Leah. But that didn't seem to have the desired effect that Leah was looking for. And we'll see this in the next section called Sons, found in verses 32 to 35. Follow along as I read those words. It's what God's word says. Leah conceived and gave birth to a son and named him Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. But then she conceived again and gave birth to a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. And she conceived again and gave birth to a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she named him Levi. And she conceived again and gave birth to a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. You know, it seems that as soon as God opened Leah's womb, she conceived, and her firstborn was a boy. You know, the formula we're going to see with these four births is that Leah's going to make a comment, and then she's going to name the child, or vice versa. And in fact, with the firstborn, it's the only time that Leah names the child before making the comment about him. And this was probably to differentiate the firstborn from the following three sons. Leah's comments on the births of these four children will be a play on words connecting the children's names to the comments made by her. Her comments will give us insight into what she's feeling, what she's going through at the time of their births. So Rachel calls her firstborn Reuben, which means see or behold a son. And then she makes two comments. First, it is because the Lord has seen my affliction. And second, surely my husband, surely now my husband will love me. These two sentiments express both a, a lament and a wish. The name Reuben sounds like the Hebrew word for to see, and in naming him, she was expressing her faith in God who saw her affliction. We also see how she was feeling and what her true wish or desire was. She was feeling unloved and unwanted, and what she truly desired was for her husband to love her. 
She wanted Jacob's heart, even though his heart was with another. She was suffering from an unrequited love, a love that was not reciprocated by Jacob. With the birth of the second son, before naming the child, she makes this comment. Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. She names him Simeon, which sounds like the Hebrew word for to hear. And she comments that because the Lord has heard her, he has given her a second son. This suggests that Leah had been talking with God about her unloved and her afflicted state. She continues to be bitterly disappointed in the fact that despite the birth of Reuben, she's still unloved by Jacob. He still would not reciprocate the love that she so desired to have. She still expresses her faith, though. She truly believes that these children were from God. He was pouring out his grace and mercy on her because he saw and he heard that she was unloved. She was afflicted by her husband. The name Simeon would be a reminder that God hears his people in the time of their need. Now, we don't know what Jacob was thinking during these times because, you know what, he's, he's silent during these births. He seemingly doesn't even have a hand in naming these children. And it's interesting as we look ahead, he doesn't seem to have a hand in naming any of the 12 children that are born to him in this chapter or the next. And this would have been unusual in that time as the father usually took part in naming the children. In Genesis 16, 15, Abraham named Ishmael. In Genesis 21, 3, he named Isaac. And in Genesis 25, 25 and 26, Isaac and Rebekah named Jacob and Esau. You know, we see many times in God's word that he sees and he hears the cries of the unloved, the unwanted and afflicted. We've already seen this in the book of Genesis when we studied the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Genesis 16, 11 says, The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are pregnant, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. God heard Hagar's affliction, and she would give birth to a son called Ishmael, which means God hears. Later in verse 13, verses 13 and 14, we see these words. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees me. For she said, have I even seen him here and lived after he saw me? Therefore, the well was called Bir Laha Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. God saw and heard Hagar's cries, and he still sees and hears the cries of the unloved and afflicted today. There's another story in the Bible of God hearing the affliction of others, found in Exodus 2, 23 and 25. It says this, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage ascended to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. And not only did God hear the Israelites in their affliction, but he also took notice of them. God sees and hears the cries of the unloved and afflicted. The third son born to Leah and Jacob is Levi. Again, we see that Leah comments on the birth before he is named. 
She says that now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Now the name Levi sounds like the Hebrew word for joined or attached. And Leah believes because she has now borne three sons to Jacob that he will want to be joined with her. She's hoping that he will love her. Every Jewish father wanted sons, and Leah was certain that the birth of Levi would cause Jacob to truly love her. And now, now her love would be reciprocated. But of course, that's not what happens. Jacob still loves Leah less than Rachel. And Jacob is just fulfilling his duty as a husband, but he's not sharing his affections with her. Leah still feels unloved, unwanted, and neglected by Jacob. The fourth son born to Leah and J Jacob is Judah. Leah comments, this time I will praise the Lord. And Judah's name means he, God, will be praised. We notice that this time she doesn't mention being unloved. She doesn't mention being afflicted or neglected by Jacob. Instead, she praises the Lord. She stopped focusing on Jacob's love, which was not forthcoming. And she's focusing on God's love for her that has always been there. She's always known that these children were from God, but she seemingly never praised him for them. Now she's become more and more aware of God working in her life. So when Judah was born, she decides not to dwell on the negative, but to dwell on the Lord and his love and goodness for her. Leah decided to stop seeking the love and approval of her husband and instead give God the glory and the praise. She realized that her identity and worth came from the Lord and not from Jacob. You know, maybe you're doing the same thing as Leah this morning. Maybe you're seeking love and approval from human beings and not from God. And if so, this second next step on the back of your communication card is for you. To stop seeking the love and approval of human beings and instead find my identity and my worth in the Lord. Then you too will be able to praise the Lord for his love and goodness to you. <clears throat> Lastly, we see that Leah stopped having children. Now, we aren't told explicitly that God had anything to do with it, but we saw that God opened her womb, and I believe he closed it. Why? Because he had a sovereign plan and purpose for the 12 sons of Jacob who would become the nation of Israel and his chosen people. This part of the plan had been fulfilled, and the next one was going to get ready to begin. You know, later in chapter 30, we're going to see that God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant again. God is the one who opens and closes wombs. We may not understand why or why not, but we could trust his sovereign plan in the Bible, and we could trust his sovereign plan in our lives as well. My conclusion is adapted from a sermon by a pastor named Charlie Garrett. With the birth of the last two sons, Levi and Judah, Hamilton says this, two of the major Old Testament institutions, priesthood and kingship, have their origin in an un unwanted and unplanned marriage. That is the sovereignty of God. The preeminence will move to Judah, and so the line of the Messiah will continue through him. And from Levi will come the priestly class of people known as the Levites. You know, the Levites will continue to minister to the people 
of Israel throughout the time of Jesus, and even the Gospel of Matthew will be written by a Levite. Today in Israel, it is claimed that the gene identifying the Levites has been isolated, and in particular, the gene of the Kohanim, or the high priestly class. If you've ever known a Jewish person with the name, last name Cohen, this is the group who can most readily trace their DNA all the way back to the line of Aaron, the son of Levi. You know, it seems that God has ensured that this tribe of people will be ready for the final portion of prophecy given by Daniel about 2,700 years ago, which encompasses the seven years of tribulation. There will be a time when the, when the temple will again stand in Israel and the Levites will minister there. Four sons for the unloved wife and the honor of one of them leading to the Messiah of the world. You know, it's a high honor for a woman who was overlooked as a suitable wife. But you know, Leah is simply a picture of a lot of us. You know, we may not feel that we're anything special. You know, we may get passed by in life for whatever reason, but the Lord is always with us. God opened Leah's womb and showed her favor while the younger, prettier wife remained barren. We don't need to waste our time trying to compete with beauty or money or status. All these things may be nice, but they can disappear in a moment, and we can't take it with us. However, the favor of the Lord lasts forever. There will never be a time that Leah isn't the ancestor of the Lord. But it wasn't long before Rachel's beauty disappeared. We must keep our eyes on the Lord. We must fix our thoughts on that which is noble and good. We can't worry about the things that we can't control. The Lord has all of us exactly where he wants us, where he can best use us. He has a good plan and purpose for us. Nothing is left to chance with our wonderful creator. As we daily and totally surrender ourselves to him, he will do marvelous things for us and through us. As the praise team comes forward, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can go deeper into your word. We praise and thank you that you see and hear our cries no matter what they are for and that you love us deeply. Help us through your Holy Spirit to trust that you love us even when we feel like no one else does and help us to stop seeking the love and approval of others and to find our identity and worth in you. In Jesus' name, amen.